A recent study involving 41,000 companies who engaged coaches reported that 77% of executives had better working relationships with their direct reports, 67% of executives had improved teamwork, and bottom line profitability was affected by 22% improvement. Hello and welcome to the Good Boss, Bad Boss podcast, episode 9. This is the podcast that tries to get to the root of the good, the bad, and the ugly behavior of bosses. But we have a very special show today as we are live from the EMCC National Conference in Kalini, County Dublin. This will be a very different episode of the Good Boss, Bad Boss podcast as we talk to speakers at the conference and some of the attendees about their good boss and bad boss experiences. Stick with us, it's going to be a roller coaster ride. Dana Caceres, you're an EMCC council member and definitely one of the people responsible for this conference here today. Amongst Wh- other things. Amongst <laughs> other things. Why is it so important to, to run the European Mentoring and Coaching Council conference like this in Ireland, a, a local chapter? Of yeah, yeah, but I suppose even more fundamentally, my motivation for uh, volunteering for the council and um, trying to build that into a busy schedule is because I think it's really important to have... Um, a good organization to support us as coaches, mentors, supervisors. We're a small community, um, but many of us work independently. So um, having a really good functioning uh, organization with strong local presence and events like this is critical for for many uh, coaches and mentors and supervisors to connect. Yeah, because I mean, obviously, I'm only in this game a couple of years now. But what I've noticed is, is it's a lone wolf game a lot of the time. So you're out on your own, and uh, you know the funny thing about coaches, the the irony or or, or the challenges, they are drawn to people a lot of times. Mm-hmm. And when you go out on your own as a coach, you're kind of on your own. Yeah. And 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 the people you meet. They're not the ones you're going to be confiding in. <laughs> <laughs> no. The other thing that's relevant in terms of CPD is that, you know, we're, we put ourselves out there as, um, you know, a source for information, uh, a source for helping people understand what's going on in the market, what's going on in terms of leadership development and so on and so forth. So, you know, having really good quality CPD and, and doing that in an environment where you can share and develop those ideas with yes, others yeah. is And is you do critical. research as well as part of the EMCC, yeah, uh, you know, I mean across, e- across EMCC is EMCC. a global organization, has an absolutely, um, oh, I'm still learning who's who. <laughs> yeah. it's, it's a huge global team. Um, and the, the, the various uh, countries across Europe and Asia and US and <laughs> like yeah. we are just expanding at a rate of knots, um, the research and the sharing and the inclusiveness, you know, mm. I think it's, it's an organization that really lives that value of inclusiveness. Um, we have a, a council WhatsApp group and I tell you, it's constantly buzzing um, at all hours of the day and night because you're getting contributions from across the world. Great, um, yeah. And there's great research that comes from that. There is great insights that comes that come from the various regulations and, and the context in which people are um, are working. So it is. It's it's fabulous to be networked into a global organization like that. And and bringing it back to today, there's a huge amount on the schedule today. I'm, yeah. I was <laughs> looking at the running order, going how's, maybe how's, a little too much. How's this going to be one day? <laughs> <laughs> um, so. W- 
you know, run, run us through what's happening today yeah, and, and I suppose some of the highlights. Yeah, the conference um, was inspired by roundtable discussions with HR leaders, L&D professionals, practitioners and purchasers of coaching and mentoring. Um, and it does center around that revolutionary change in the workplace. Um, and we've tried to get themes that kind of look at that revolutionary change or that change kind of uh, theme from different points of view. So we had Frank Farley, uh, opening the conference today, giving us that industry perspective in terms of, you know, his recruitment experience. He's he's kind of working with people at both sides of the table, trying yeah. to align those expectations yeah. around employment, employment trends, salary expectations. So, I think giving us that broad industry context to help ground us. <laughs> yes, yeah, yeah. In in reality, I know, um, you know, it's really tempting to be a little bit kind of idealistic with yes, our viewpoint yeah. sometimes. So. You know, that was really, really good. Um, and then from there, you know, just the different aspects of change. Uh, we've got Antoinette Brax talking to us about that that kind of shift in leadership development, that kind of mastery level. How do right. you get, how do you help get clients who are operating at a really high level already shift into that higher level? Yeah. Um, and, and then for ourselves as coaches as well, how, how we're working towards our kind of you know mastery mastery yeah so excellent really yeah. yeah really looking forward yeah, to that absolutely. yeah absolutely um so yeah and then we've got a bit of fun as well with um, neil kern he's going to be doing some improv yeah um, gotta talk to him he's yeah. a, he's he's he's, yeah. got, he's got some interesting ideas yeah, coming and in, in the context of improv and those kind of skills in the workplace we've really seen um a, a, a good adoption and an understanding that it's about connecting you know yes, it's about yeah. connecting and change requires you to be agile so he's going to help us flex that I, i'm muscle. pretty sure and I, I i would say this it's actually i've never thought of it before my whole career has been improvisation so <laughs> this I interview mean, is this improvisation <laughs> 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 uh, I, 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 I would say a lot of people get a lot out of that and it should be a lot of fun as you say um, yeah so that's in the second half of the day that's is it yeah brilliant, day, brilliant yeah yeah uh, we've got our our Esteemed Billy Byrne, uh, ex-council member, he's talking to us about the mindset and kind of gearing up for complexity and change. Um, we've got breakout sessions. Uh, this is a first for us in EMCC Ireland. Um, so we've got three breakout sessions just to create more intimate, uh, a more intimate kind of gathering uh, against different yes, subjects. Yeah. Um, so one is on supervising the system with Pamela Fay. Um, the other is a workshop, just practical, getting down to the the bare brass of what does it look like and what do I need to do in order to go through individual accreditation for we've the seen, EMCC. Yeah. Yeah. We've seen a 533 percent yeah. increase in accreditation it's amazing. against the it's last amazing. 12 months. Yeah. Are, they, are they putting fertilizer on coaches? Where are they all coming from? Yeah, I, we, uh, we've, we've streamlined our processes a bit better as well. We're, co we're collaborating better with the training organizations mm. in order to help people from early on get their you know, the yeah. ducks in a row and thinking about accreditation. I think also in the marketplace it's shifted, you know. Um, I, I as a coach myself, I, I, I've had a few proposals um, and, and tenders where accreditation is a requirement. Yeah, it, I mean, it's, it's so important. It's a qualification criteria and if you don't have accreditation, you're yeah. not in. Even 
There are so many courses now, you know, people can do online courses and they can set themselves up as coaches, but the differentiator is you're accredited by an independent body. Yeah. That is the differentiator. You have to get that under your belt if you're serious about about any game, Mm -hmm. any game. Yeah. And the process of it itself, it's quite a reflective journey. It really helps you think about, you know, what's my, what's my philosophy as a coach? Yeah. Um, you know, h- how do my own personal interests and biases and preferences influence the way that I coach and how do I break through that or out of that uh, when it's needed? So as, as a personal journey and as a personal CPD practice, it really does help create that pathway yeah. for development. Brilliant. That's, so that's breakout session number two. What's yeah. number three? Uh, breakout session number three is returning to work. So aligning the Excellent. perspectives of employees and employers. Um, and it's looking at returning to work. Jervila Baviera is our, our speaker for that. She's done a lot of work in the female context and maternity leave and so on and so forth. But the, re- the returning to work landscape is is growing so rapidly. Mm. Um, so she's going to share with us how some of her experiences in, in, in respect to females returning to work, how a lot of the things that employers and both employees and those returners themselves need to do to kind of align those perspectives as they come back to work and deal mm. with some of the, you know, ca- yeah. calling out the truths, as she calls yeah. it herself. Okay. So that'll be interesting. Looking forward to that. It's been brilliant talking to you and really looking forward to the rest of the day. We'll talk to an awful lot more of the uh, of the um, the people that, that are ahead. What are you most looking forward to? Um, yeah, I'm interested. We're closing the conference with two speakers that are coming from the uh, the industry perspective from a employer point of view, from a practitioner, a HR practitioner point of view. Um, I think that'll be really interesting in terms of, again, bringing us back to reality, grounding us in, in the context of how organizations are navigating this transformational change. Um, and, and, and you know these these two individuals we've got Fiona Keane from Standard Life that's going to bring a case study to bear in terms of some significant change that she has managed and we've got Rosari Mannion um, HSE who is, is, is going to give us her own insights as a practitioner um, and as a coach excellent so that'll be really interesting just again ground us back into reality reality yeah <laughs> enough of that fluffy stuff <laughs> Excellent stuff. Uh, thank you very much for taking the You're time welcome. out to talk to us, Dana, and enjoy your day. A pleasure. Thank you. Hi, my name is Emma Caleary. I'm the director of Serendipity Kids, I'm a children's boutique I founded, and I'm also a newly qualified executive coach. Um, I think for me, a good uh, boss is somebody who is willing to listen and willing to uh, support um, my growth and um, have my back. Uh, for me, the one of the most difficult traits in a boss is someone who uh, dictates to their team and doesn't consider the, the voices of other people that, who work for that person, um, with making life very difficult. I'm speaking with Frank Farley, COO and co-founder of Sigma Recruitment and also the current president of the National Recruitment Federation who's just off the stage at the EMCC National Conference. Frank, how did it go? Brilliant. I, I, I actually took, it was a lot longer on stage because of the, the uh, audience questions. So it was brilliant. I, I think they had to stop them and get to let me out, you know. They did, yeah. You were, you were held prisoner there for a while. And it was brilliant to see that level of engagement and, again, that level of passion. Yeah. And, again, coaches, etc., are so important. Yeah. Because as we enter a future world of work, people are going to have to constantly reskill. 
Do you know what I mean? And coaches and mentoring is important to that. And I think we covered a question came up there about women returning to the workplace. Yeah. You know, people often underestimate the, you know, how un, you know, the lack of confidence women may have returning. They mm-hmm. could be now for two or three years. Things can change. Fear the unknown. Yeah. I think it should be mandatory that they can maybe they can put a, you know, get some of their PRSI contributions to go towards a coach, a mentor, a returnship. You Great, yeah. A returnship is the is the term you use. So, th- so this is the idea of, of people who've been out of the game for a while, actually kind of get that that foot in the door. Exactly, and I've probably robbed it from America. In, in America, it means a returnship is where they they deliberately target older workers to come back in. You know, who've, who've got expertise and who've been somewhat discarded, and there's still a lot to give. You know, yeah. and, and work gives people a purpose. So most older people want to work. Yeah, and and you mentioned a, a figure there of sixty two point one percent of uh, employment participation and the real drop off is in females over 35 so we're, we're missing out on a huge amount of talent oh, as an economy we are suffering um, and suffering it's kind of it's, it's actually 62.1% across everybody for women over 35 it drops off a cliff really? there's a definite parenthood or motherhood gap yeah um, and obviously we, we have uh, co- childcare costs in the media at the moment yeah. but the government needs to look at it I know Catherine's opponents in fairness to her are making some effort towards it but I think when it comes to childcare we need revolution not evolution Hi, I'm Geraldine Murphy I'm a strategic HR and corporate service manager in Ordon, Survey Ireland with over 25 years experience in HR so what's a good boss to me? A good boss to me is somebody who embraces the role as a people manager somebody who knows their team is very self-aware of their impact on that team who's very clear on what the task is but also about the skills and the the uh, an understanding of the people that works for them you know that uh, what their outside interests are you know that shows an interest in them and somebody who is very self-aware and emotionally intelligent and when problems occur are able to nip them in the bud and is not afraid of having the difficult conversation when it's needed a bad boss is the complete opposite of that who thinks that anything related to people is a hr problem only and usually it comes to hr when it it has escalated into a huge ir issue when uh, when, when sometimes it's just a conversation that was needed to, to understand where people were coming from. Everything boils down to communication. I'm speaking with Antoinette Brax, who is a, a, a coach and consultant in the space of leadership development. And you're, you're just off the stage. Um, you've given a, a brilliant talk about leadership and uh, the, the future of leadership and your view of that, because you, you've done an awful lot of research in terms of this. And one question was spinning around my mind. Um, We have loads of leadership courses. I mean, everybody eventually goes through a leadership course. Why don't we have loads of great leaders? Uh, That's a good question. Good question, Stephen. To be honest, I think think leadership programs are falling short. Um, Through the research, I found that there are three things we're not really doing sufficiently. Um, One of them is... um, leadership in the collective or of the collective or holding the collective. So there's a lot of individual leadership development, but not enough the organization that they work in. So I think that that's a real problem. We're still stuck with, if if you think about Lalu's terms, um, orange type organizations that are hierarchies, sometimes also matrices, but not liberating uh, principle-based organizations where there's a lot more flexibility within. And then I'm not just talking about working hour weeks, I'm talking in terms of the work you actually end up doing, so it's much right. more emergent. So that, yeah. number one, organizations are holding us back. Okay. 
Yeah. The, the actual structure. The actual structure uh, and processes that are traditional, f- traditionally found in organisations. Yeah, right, con- yeah. Containing okay. our growth. I think secondly, what we're also not doing in a lot of leadership programs is shadow resolution. So there's a big focus on knowledge, um, more knowledge, yeah. um, networking. Um, but when we get deep and personal, we might start to think about a person's journey and what they've been up to. But we don't focus on shadow resolution. We don't go then into that shadow and say, okay, what's that all about? Source it, identify it and eliminate it. We're okay. focusing much more on self-regulation of our emotions, which is another form of suppression, as right. opposed to yeah. really understanding our emotional makeup and going to the source of these pain, you know, the pain we've suffered, and move through it and beyond it. Okay, that's holding us, that's containing, so that the organisation is containing us mm-hmm. from a, a structure point of view. And but we're containing ourselves as leaders as yeah, well. Yeah, we're not From that emotional, th- there's emotional chains yeah. on people that, that are not being addressed within the organisational context because we're afraid of it, are we? And I think within even within leadership development programmes. Right, yeah. So like the big they leadership don't go deep development programmes, they don't go deep enough. So number right. one, they don't, go co- they don't go collective enough and they don't go deep enough. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. So they, they, it's still too much on the surface and you can't move to later stages of leadership development such as strategist or the self-transforming mind without doing that deeper shadow work. Okay, yeah. okay, yeah, excellent. Um, there's a third thing too, and I think that relates to coaching. So a lot of coaches, are, you know, do you start with being a performance coach, so that's the, the grow model, getting yeah. people to achieve goals. Then you move into developmental coaching, which is all about the individual, and authentic leadership programs do this as well, where they're focusing on your vision and your values and your aspirations and purpose and all that sort of thing. Mm. Um, your values, how you navigate your life. But we don't then also go into transformative coaching where we're changing the way a person makes sense of their life experience. Yes, yes. So we're not offering what I would call a radical accountability for being responsible for everything that's turning up in your life experience. Yes. And not only that, but the things that you find distasteful is actually fantastic. Love the drama because it's showing who we are and yeah. how we can work with that to cultivate ourselves, to mm. evolve. So we're not really appreciating the sense of self and life and moving into transformative coaching with enough weight. And I suppose that begs the question of coaches. Do we have enough coaches as strategists? Right, yeah. So co- coaches as strategists. Then, So are coaches evolved enough to help people along this journey? Is that what you're saying? And I, oh well, I'd like to help more coaches be that way yeah. um, so that they move on from developmental coaching and through to transformative coaching. But to do that, they also need to evolve to those later stages where the mind is really open, the heart's really open, and we've dissolved so much of our own shadow work that we're yeah. very free and empty and present, you yes, know, in the yeah. power of now type thing. And, you know, pr- I, I think that's amazing, but then I kind of think of the practical. Well, how, how do you embed this into organisations? So what's the entry point? Look, any executive is the entry point. So this is what's happened in my coaching practice over the last few years. Um, coaching senior executives, working with them, and I've discovered it's just eight key drivers: um, two on the collective, two on the, oh, sorry, four on the collective, four on the personal. And in each of those four, there's two that are very much about self-awareness, so they go within very deeply, and the other two are very much about interactions with other people and how we work with those, but from an interpenetrative perspective. In other words, life is self and self is life and yeah. whatever's turning up, showing up is about us. So, you know, it, it really is very eminently possible, yeah. um, and, but it does require deeper work and it requires collective work and new learning, but it's eminently possible in just eight coaching sessions per annum, a strategist I've found, or 
Right. Clients I've found, executives who have been high-performing achievers in the conventional world, have moved through to catalyst in just one year, and 25% are moving through to strategist in one year. Yeah, which so is double double, double shift. Double shift, which yeah. is phenomenal. And for me, that tells us that there's so much talent that's just latent. It's just lying mm. there waiting to be woken up to flourish. Yeah. Um, that if more of us could do that, then organizations would be a greater place. I think even the concept for organizations to look at leadership as a, a shift, it's not always about climbing a ladder. I, mm, the the mm. ladder is this thing that's always in the background of like, mm-hmm. well, you're not progressing unless you're climbing the ladder, mm-hmm, you know. Mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. actually, you know, that when we talk about shifts, I like that concept of, no, has your leadership shifted this year? And that's what's mm-hmm. important still have the same rank can still mm-hmm. have the same salary you can still have all these things mm-hmm. but our, our attachment to the material mm-hmm. uh, to the status you yeah. know as executives because uh, I've chatted to people before about you know the executive pool can be a bit of a shark tank mm-hmm. <laughs> in, mm-hmm. in terms mm-hmm. of uh, you know the, it, it's a feeding frenzy and then when people emerge from it they feel very oh well I want to give back now and I'm, I'm always puzzled as to well, why do you want to give back when you're in the tank <laughs> you mm, know that, that would mm, be good mm. how do you think we break the bonds of that that kind of shark tank met, met, you know uh, yeah. metho- methodology yeah. that where people kind of are eating each other to get to yeah. the top. How, how, do you, how do you break that? Yeah, well, you've got to break through it, really. So you're talking about an achiever-type organisation where everyone is competing, and yeah. that's that's standard practice, to be honest. Yeah. But if we get beyond that to more of authentic leadership, and then move beyond that to quantum leadership, where Dana Zohar has written a fabulous book on quantum leadership, which is the whole strategist thing, then the person can hold that space even in a competitive organisation by being by role modelling. Highly yeah. collaborative, aspirational behaviours. I think what we need to have a greater sense of understanding of is that we need to promote people based on their stage of capacity to hold a larger space of people, you know, and, and really give credence to the fact that we need bigger minds and bigger hearts leading organisations. Yeah, no, I, I I find it very interesting. You know, in Ireland especially, I think you know we're, we're starting to. Uh, explore the depths of emotional intelligence but I think a g- good point is made you know we're not exploring the shadows at all it's it's more it's very focused on the positive and bringing in anything that's deemed negative can mm-hmm. be uh, y- y- you can be seen to be a bit disruptive about that yeah yeah um, and wh- how do you how do you how do you sell that to companies how do you sell that as a, as a concept see I don't really sell it I just invite the fact that there's this latent potential within us all wishing to blossom and flower and would they like that and basically your well-being increases you know life instead of being a struggle and striving you go to thriving and flourishing and who doesn't want that mm. and if you've got working with someone who's a coach who has done the journey themselves and understands how it works, etc. Then you're in safe hands. You know they're holding a safe, secure, psychologically safe space for you to do that work. Um, and it's done one on one. I think it's also done in small groups. So really, it's up to the coaches and leaders to enable more and more of this to happen in organisations and through coaching. Excellent stuff. We'll leave it there. But where can people find uh, more on your work? Well, I'd love you to um, have a look at the, the website, Join the Shift. It's join-the-shift.com. Brilliant. Um, and my LinkedIn profile. Um, I'd love to catch up with anyone who's interested in the process. Great. So there is a book on the way. And there's a book on the way next year that'll be published by McGraw-Hill. Yep. And it'll be all about um, liberating to later stages of development. 
excellent stuff. Thank you very much, Antoinette. Thank you, Stephen. It's been a pleasure. So my name is Keith Fox. Uh, I think my, my good boss experience is I think people who are willing to listen, willing to change and, and adapt, and just be, a bit, be supportive, you know, let people be willing to make their mistakes, let, let those mistakes happen and don't dwell on them, uh, and then support people after those things happen. I think a bad boss, the opposite of all of those things, uh, set in their ways, not willing to listen. I think listening is the key, uh, and, and ability to, to, to adapt is, is the key, and work with people as people. I'm here with Dervila Baviera, who uh, prides herself in working in the field of feeding the female leadership pipeline. So you're all about uh, empowering women in the workplace, but also getting getting them onto that pipeline, I think, is what you were here today talking about, is, is one of the things. Tell us what you were talking to the people at the EMCC conference about. So today's session was really about, it was about that return to work piece that people have, are taking extended periods of time away from the workplace and the transition of coming back to work is often very challenging both at an individual level managerial level and for the organization and the conversation today was really about how all three can align in terms of managing that transition most effectively yeah the, the, i mean we always think of maternity leave as the main reason people would take a, a, mm-hmm. an extended period out of work but there's also sick leave there's in our recent downturn plenty of people were out of out of work for quite a while mm-hmm. and it can really affect people yeah. Uh, when they're out of work and returning, what, what kind of anxieties do, do, do people hold with them before they return to work? So there's a number of, of key anxieties. Definitely there's something around confidence. If you've been out of the workplace for mm. a number of months, for whatever reason, there's that sense of, can I still do what I do? Of yeah. course, when they come back, they realize that they still can <laughs> yes, <laughs> pretty quickly. Yeah. So that's one, one concern. Um, and I think the other one is that perception of others. What will people think about me? Um, will will they think that I'm less committed to my career? Will I be written off? Um, so there's a lot of that kind of pressure and expectation, sometimes on themselves, and also their perceived pressure and expectation from others. And what, so, you know, th- this is the Good Boss, Bad Boss podcast. What mm-hmm. can a really good boss do mm-hmm. to facilitate a smooth transition back into work? So I think that there's a couple of things from a good boss, and I think facilitating the smooth transition back to work starts with a good transition off work. Oh, okay. So yeah. if we run it back, so I'm going to take the case of maternity leave, you know, as, as an example, of course, yeah. this, this applies to other leaves as well. Before the person finishes up for leave, what are the conversations that need to happen? What is the handover plan? What are the implications? It's having a human conversation and also how it's going to impact the business, the team, you know, what length of time they're go- that person is going to be off, you know, how do they envisage that, that return and start to have the conversation about what the return will look like. Right, yeah. I think another key piece where, where people get stuck is what communication to have during the leave period. Yes, so that an organization a minefield mm, for a boss even. They're kind of going, do I bother the person exactly. or do I leave them alone? And uh, so yeah. it's very simple, really. Ask. Okay. <laughs> so it is not fair to assume that the person wants to stay in contact because yes. they may not. And yeah. that's fine if that is their choice. But very many people in my experience do want to stay in contact in some yeah. way. And so best practice is really, first of all, asking if they want to stay in contact. If there are key changes or promotions or new roles coming up, do they want to be advised about those? Yes. Yeah. Um, and then agree when they will reconnect at the back end, just before coming back. So typically yeah. a month before they're due to come back. Lead in. Go f- meet for coffee, lunch, whatever it is, have a conversation right. and chat about what's been going on, bring them up to speed a little bit and start to anticipate what that return will look like. So it's all about good conversations before 
and preparation then yes. and, and a, a contract maybe it's you know as to yeah. this is this is how we're going to exactly. operate over the next the year or whatever it might yeah. be that if it, that's if it's planned of course if it's i mean planned. there's lots of yeah. the sick leave can happen and, and yeah. you know you know things can mm-hmm. uh, get a bit more uh, fluid exactly but you know again even if it is unplanned there's still a fear about what can i say and what should i do again fi- you know if you can find a way whether it's through hr or whatever to still ask yes ask yeah. the person's opinion yeah. whether it's planned or unplanned of how they would like to play this. Uh, w- would you say, in general, people do want to have that contact? Yeah, so, because, I mean, most people don't want to see, feel forgotten about, hmm. you know. I would say, and I would apply this to a number of different leaves, maybe in the early stages, not so much. Yeah, okay. Because whatever the reason is for leave, yeah, okay. I need to get my yeah. head around okay. that. Yeah. And then as that progresses through whatever period it, it is, maybe halfway through, that yes, then, then okay. and, and especially as it's coming closer to the other end, that there, there is a desire for some communication. Okay, so it's a little bit more nuanced. Okay, yeah. good, good, good stuff. So if you were to give one piece of advice to uh, a, a manager or a boss in terms of how to, where to go to get help with this or um, what they should be thinking about in terms of managing returns to work uh, and the benefits of managing it well, mm-hmm. wh- what would that be? So I think if I start with the benefits of managing this really well, it's fundamentally about retaining your talent. You know, if this is somebody who you really value on your team, handling this well, enabling them to handle the transition well, and you supporting them in that is going to impact talent retention and also acquisition. This is becoming a key point for organizations in terms of attracting talent as well. Yeah. Um, so that's one of the, the key benefits, I would say, um, in terms of motivation levels, you know, the, the individual pe- feeling valued, the, the impact that they're having on the team and in their role, it all impacts that as well. Um, and in terms of where they can go to get some help, they can contact me in Clearbird Coaching and Consulting. I, I specialize Brilliant. What's the website? Clear, so clearbird.ie. Perfect. Easy. Okay. <laughs> I, I specialize in helping both individuals and organizations um, manage, trans- helping people to, to manage that transition back to work. Excellent. Thanks very much for talking to us, Dervla. You're so welcome. My name is Morgan O'Connell. I'm a, a career coach and a, also a financial coach. And a good boss for me, and Stephen, would you believe it? I have been a manager in many, many industries and many, many jobs. And a good boss for me, um, I have been good bo- a good boss and also a bad boss. So a good boss for me is, and the more I operate as a coach, uh, emotional intelligence is one of the main attributes of a good boss. Listening, sitting back, um, and having the, 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 the intelligence to communicate properly with the people you work with. I think that's so important. Um, I remember back, I was a bad boss as well, and I remember back running meetings where I, it was my way or the highway, I didn't listen, I didn't sit back, I didn't see what uh, the other perspectives of the uh, in the room were. Um, someone might be having a bad day, someone might be might have had um, uh, problems at home in their family life, in their, in, in their personal life, and I didn't care. I just rammed through my own agenda, and this was a long time ago, but I've since seen the light, and I now think that communication and how to communicate is so important as a good boss and how to get your message across and how to soak up other people's messages and how to assimilate those and take them on board. I think that is very important. 
I'm talking to Neil Curran, who is a professional improviser, corporate trainer and executive coach. Neil has over 20 years experience in the multinational tech sector with over 18 years experience at management level. How does a manager become an improviser <laughs> and what is improvisation? Or perhaps why does an improviser become a manager? So improv <laughs> is a, an ancient art form. Um, it's how it was one of the original theatre forms where improvisers are performers, actors who walk out on stage with no script, nothing planned and nothing prepared. And it's a collaborative process. They create scenes, skits, sketches, whatever you want to call it, in front of the audience's eyes. And it's a shared journey between the audience and the performers because the, uh, the performers are finding out about what the scene or the show is about at the same time that the, that the audience is. So it's that shared journey so it's very much the focus is on collaboration and it's an exhilarating and liberating art form because there's no wrong way to do it because you don't have a director you don't have a script so you have this full freedom to explore the characters and explore the worlds that are out there when you flip that on its head though and you look at the skills that are behind doing that well what are they well listening is a huge part of improvising because we have to listen to each other. We can't think of other things. We can't be bringing fears and worries and inner critics into our head because I have to give you my utmost attention because if I don't listen to you, I won't be able to read your body language, won't be able to hear what you're going to say, I won't know who you are. So that becomes key to it. Yeah. Improv to me is a process of communication, listening being the big part. And then after that, it's about reacting. If you say to me, I'm feeling sad today because uh, my dog has run away, but then I have to acknowledge oh. your feeling and I have to tell you how I feel about your dog running away. In real life, if your dog's run away, I'd be like, I'm very sorry to hear that, but this is improv. We can't assume, we can't assume that that's a bad thing. <laughs> it's a sad thing in improv. I might feel really happy. Thank God that dog has left because I was sick of the barking. I couldn't afford the dog food. Your problem, not mine. <laughs> Finally, I can sleep at night. So what's happened is you've come into the scene expressing a feeling and expressing you know, what, who your character is and what the problem is. And I've expressed the feeling of. But if you come into that scenario assuming that I'm also going to be sad, yeah. then you're thinking and you're planning, you're not listening. So it's about letting go of all of that, right. trusting the unknown and trusting yourself and trusting each other. So those skills very relevant to the workplace trust yeah. creating a climate of trust when we think of trust we often think of trust as something that's earned you've hired me to work in your organization i'm gonna to have to prove myself but we rarely say well what do i have to do as a manager to create a climate of trust so this person can fully engage and, and be fully open yeah and uh, listening obviously and how difficult is it to listen nowadays if we're in an open plan office we're surrounded by distraction if we have our mobile phones if we have our laptop in front of us we're bombarded with information our senses are overloaded so listening is a very very difficult thing to do and then obviously communication on stage we communicate directly because we have to be clear on intention we don't have time to negotiate you know or, or talk about whether we think ideas are good or bad yeah. we have to just go for it but we don't necessarily do that in real life and for very valid reasons uh, but at the same time we have to be clear in our intention in business if I'm telling you that if I'm giving you feedback on something I have to be considerate to how you process and receive feedback not everybody receives feedback the same way mm. so that idea of well I've communicated we, we often see meet people in business who say I sent you an email on that and they you know you haven't responded to me and as far as they're concerned their work is done because they've sent an email so there's times in business people don't give consideration to how a person processes information yeah uh, and that's an important part of improv is you know understanding how we're communicating and how that's being received and what our job is in both parts of that process amazing and so as as bosses would you say a good boss is a good improviser 
Is that or or can they can they be? Uh, well, being a good boss, being a good improviser means you're adaptable. And certainly in business nowadays, we have to be very adaptable. Every every week is different. Every day is different. Nobody goes into the office and has a list of ten things they need to do that day, and all they do is they'll stand things. You know, we mm. have to be adaptable and flexible. We have to be open to others. A, a good boss is someone who uh, who can really listen and understand the needs and desires and, and, and aspirations of their team. I think I used an example in the talk of, of somebody who was very much a a, 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 a go-getter in business, had ideas implemented, delivered, but didn't realize for a long time that he wasn't being open to the input of his team. He wasn't listening. Mm. He was just putting his idea in there, yeah. um, which was shutting down his team, which was was taking their level of engagement. This was damaging it. And it didn't really create a sense of teamwork because it was then him and them. It was an us and them yeah. mentality. Whereas a, 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 a good boss... And I, I use that term broadly. A good boss is someone who will respect and take the input of their team. You know, someone once said to me, you know, I can have my idea and my plan in my head, but if I give my team a sense and opportunity to input on that, almost like they're coming up with my idea for me, well, then that creates a sense of ownership. And that's very useful in times of change. You know, companies going through a reorg, if there's changes within processes, new systems, all these different challenges that we face. If people feel part of the process and their input is valued, you know, it's you know the research shows they'll buy into it a lot quicker. Yeah. But as managers, if we micromanage, if we have the sense of no, I'm the manager, I have to be responsible. It's sometimes hard for us to let go of that. Delegation can be a very difficult thing for new managers to learn from the get-go. Mm. So improv teaches us to be adaptable and recognize the value. We have a cliche in improv where we say the greatest challenge we have on stage is our brain because our brain's doing all that overthinking and the inner critic. Yeah. The greatest resource we have are the people we're surrounded with. It's the same in the workplace recognizing that the collaboration is far stronger than the individual input brilliant where can people find out more about you neil and uh, and and maybe maybe get a, an improv session for their own company <laughs> well, i'm all over the social medias i'm on face the crack social. and all that or the social medias now, i'm on linkedin facebook twitter and my website is loweredatone.com i'm improv neil on twitter and i run i work with clients i work with companies but i also do evening and weekend classes as well for people who want to do it off their own back and the vast majority of people who come to me are you know doing it for professional reasons they don't right. necessarily want to perform on stage they just want to learn the skills but Excellent. many of them actually go on and take it up as a hobby which is great to see um, and people often think oh, you want to, if you take improv classes it's about comedy or that you need to be funny or witty that's all a myth in fact anyone who comes to their classes thinking they're funny are often the people who struggle the most it's like <laughs> if you're in a scenario when having a casual conversation one of us says something off the cuff and ends up being funny people will laugh but if you force and try and say it again yeah, yeah. no one will laugh so actually the less you know the, the people who come to me who are absolute beginners have an advantage because they have no expectations we, we smash those myths about needing to be extroverted or needing to be uh, you know funny or witty that's all a myth. brilliant stuff uh, get it more of it on loweredthetone.com great thank you Hello, my name is Susan Manning and I'm from Susan Manning Consulting. I am a leadership and career coach based in Cork in Ireland. So I've been asked to give my opinion of what makes a great boss. And I have had a couple of seconds to think about this. Um, and I think a great boss is someone who wants to get the best out of you. So they understand what your strengths are and they understand what you need to thrive in the workplace. I am, um, I believe in MBTI, which if you're familiar with it, is all about your preferences. So I am somebody who likes routine and likes to know what I'm doing. So working for somebody who is all over the place and not very structured would frustrate me. 
Um, so I would like for my great boss to understand that and um, adapt his or her style to get the best out of me. And then um, I went to a role once and my uh, VP of HR was based in the US. And his leadership style was, I'm only going to ring you when there's a problem. And he thought that was a great way to manage me because if I didn't hear from him, I was doing a good job. But, you know, it filled me with fear every time he rang me. And actually, every time he rang me, it wasn't always that I'd done something wrong, but I set this huge psychological monkey in my head about he's only ringing me because I've done something wrong. So that, in my opinion, is a poor way to manage someone. We all like to be praised, we all like to have that human interaction, and we all like to be asked, how are you doing today? I'm speaking with Billy Byrne, who is an accredited coach and OD professional. He works as a consultant and executive coach at Kinch Lions, who are an international firm of business psychologists who specialize in the development of human capital. Billy, you were speaking at the EMCC National Conference today about unlocking trapped mindsets. What exactly does that mean in a business uh, environment? Well, I suppose what I was really focusing in on, the, the uh, theme of the conference was about revolutionary change in the workplace. And specifically, I was looking at the mindsets that stop us from dealing with complexity, because we have ever-increasing levels of complexity. And from the work I do with individuals, with teams, and at organizational level, like having the, the tools that we need and the frameworks to help us deal with complexity and make better decisions uh, is something that I'm really fascinated by. It's uh, something that I suppose in my own practice is coming up again and again. And I'm beginning to work more and more in this area. Um, so two things I really covered today. The first was looking at a framework just to help us think about complexity. Uh, mm. So I, 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 I use the framework uh, from Dave Snowden, the Kinevin framework, which kind of looks at complexity as, as one of four domains. Um, so I use that as a way of give us a framework first that we can think about complexity. And then I moved on to also look at, okay, well, what gets in our way? So what are the pitfalls and the mindsets? And uh, just a big one or two of them. One of the recurring ones I see is that uh, we don't really learn and reflect on our decision making. <laughs> and leaders, that's what we're expected to do. I've been a manager, I've been a senior leader myself. Like, yeah. That is your job, to make decisions. And yet, we don't really take the time to reflect on the decision making. And so one of the points I brought out today was that if we only ever look at the decisions that work out, we will never learn about decision making. Yeah. Um, there's a big gap. True. Yeah, there's a big gap here between uh, we do mix up decision outcomes and good decision making. So we can make a good decision, really put a lot of thought into it. It may not work out. Mm. There may be environmental factors, luck can play a role, these things can happen. Um, we can also make poor decisions that happen to work out. Now, <laughs> <laughs> lucky. <laughs> lucky, lucky leadership. Lucky leadership, exactly. Now, if we don't really take the time to reflect on, on our decision making at the time we make decisions. So I was encouraging people today was to use some type of decision journal. And nice. Look at the decisions as you're making them. Take some records of that. You know, look at what the decisions, how did I come to this, what did I disregard, all of those things, and then review that at a later stage. Um, that was just one of the traps, this thing we fall into where we 
mistake uh, a good outcome for a good decision. Uh, yeah. It's what poker players call resulting. <laughs> y- resulting. Yeah. It's, and it's true, especially if there's a, a, a bit of a boom going on, a, a bit of a good environment. You know, mm. things are on the up. A lot of bad decisions can be masked by the fact that, in general, the tide is rising and everybody's yep. getting on okay. Yeah, yep. that's true. Absolutely. Very true. Another thing on the complexity is that sometimes we don't recognize that we're dealing with a complex situation. So... I made a differentiation, this is again based on the Kinefin framework, which is the difference between a complicated situation or complicated domain and a complex. So complicated means that, look, there is a solution here. There may be multiple ways of getting there, but we can actually look at the past, analyze it and predict the future. So if I was designing something new, yeah, there's lots of ways I could design it, but ultimately I can design it and make something new. Complexity, of course, if we get into something like change management, we can't really predict how it's going to unfold. And yet, a lot of our thinking goes back to the likes of Taylor and scientific management. We work on the assumption that we can predict. And a lot of change programs I've seen, people feel that they can have 100% predictability. Um, So they're treating things as if they're complicated. In other words, there is a solution to be found. And yet, that's not how it works out. So... Again, one of the things I focused on in mindset is we need to have a mindset that change is about setting direction and putting up guardrails rather than a definitive end game. And let's keep saying, are we moving in the right direction and are we keeping between the guide rails or the guardrails? That's, again, another thing I just covered today around a mindset, a mindset of we're dealing with complexity, not just, well, obviously, definitely not simplicity, which where some people like to go, and not just complicated. Yeah, brilliant. And that, that idea of the guardrail. So, I mean, you're encouraging leaders there then to let people off on the leash a bit. You know, uh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, that is where we innovate. If we have very tight guiderails or guardrails, you can use either term, yeah. that means we have no room to innovate. A really good change program is one way you've got wide enough that we allow people to innovate, find their own way, find out what's working and move uh, across. That's a nice. To, that's the way we should be working. If the guidelines are too tight, mm. there's no room for innovation. If they're too wide, we're going to make a mess because we're going to maybe yeah. move beyond where we, where we need to be. So yeah. it's really getting that guide rail from the start as to what are the rules of engagement that we're going to have as a um, as a change in the change program. And and so, from a leadership perspective, how would you encourage or how would you, what would you advise leaders to do to to basically take their mindset to a different place? Well, I think it's the first thing is to recognise the mindset that they're in. Okay. So, and the mindset is, I take that as it's very much back to sense making. How do I make sense of the world? So, if I view the world as I use the example today as just a big jigsaw, that if we have enough time, enough people, we can get all the pieces together. If that's the current mindset I'm in that's not going to serve me well in a complex world that we're dealing with. Mm. So the first thing is to recognize the mindset we're in. Diversity, you know, having a diverse team with different mindsets, more people you've got with different mindsets, more likely you are that you are going to get different, uh, different ways of looking at the world and start to unlock the trapped mindsets that are there. And um, one of the things, I, I, again, I raised today was for leaders, sometimes recognizing something that's maybe a paradox as merely a problem. So they think there's a solution to something like we say task force, task focused and people focused. Mm. There isn't a solution to that. That is an, an ongoing navigation that you've got to play as t- uh, every day as a leader. Between the two. Yeah. Yeah, there's always going to be tension. I, I, the slide showed a, uh, a person on a tightrope. Every leader is on a tightrope. You're mm. always going to be trying to manage this 
balance always. Do I deliver results? Do I develop my team? Short-term gains, long-term investments. You know, so there's, that's another mindset. If I'm always just looking for solutions to problems, yeah. um, again, I'm not going to find them. Um, so one of the mindsets is to look for polarities and figure out how do I manage those polarities as I go. Again, a mindset, if you start from the point of view of what's my current mindset? Yeah. Um, and then that's where the journey begins. Brilliant. And and in in unlocking trap mindsets, looking at looking at the guardrails, yes. looking at the recognizing your own mindset. Yeah. It 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 seems like a simple formula, yes. but yeah. you know, I would say this falls into the complex category as opposed yeah, to does, complicated. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's very hard for people to self-analyze. Yeah. This is where coaching comes in. So right. okay. we're at a coaching conference. Yeah. Yeah. So. Uh, this is where I think the coach, and this is again because we have the EMCC coaching uh, annual coaching conference. This is this is why this this topic is, is relevant because this is where the coach, who's not part of the culture, typically they're from outside the organization, they can hold a mirror back up to the to the leader, mm. say, look, this is the mindset that I'm hearing you, I'm seeing here, so they are in a, in a position to be able to challenge, to introduce frameworks, to introduce tools. I go back to um, coaching as being. Uh, the difference between being directive and being directing. So you don't want the coach to be directing, in other words, telling the you know the leader what to do, but you can certainly be directive in terms of pointing the leader in the right direction. And part of that is again holding that mirror up to the leader, talking about things like mindsets, having frameworks to talk about complexity, and things like uh, having decision journals. There are tools that a coach can bring that can help to unlock the mindset. You're absolutely right. I don't think it's something you can self-analyze no. and do. You need that external voice. And I think that's where, I think executive coaching has a really fantastic role to play there. Excellent. Thanks very much for talking to me, Billy. Thanks for giving me some time. I'm speaking with Patrick Meehan, who is the owner and managing director of Invictus Management. But he is also the new president of the EMCC Ireland and of course uh, EMCC have put on this wonderful conference today. Patrick what what was your key highlight of the day? Uh, how, how did it go for you? The key, key highlight of the day was energy and change. The big thing in coaching and in employment is change and as coaches we have to step up to the change and also that takes a lot of energy to do that. Uh, coaches have to, be, have to keep upskilling to meet the change in employment in demographics with with Brexit, there's a lot of things going on in the workplace at the moment which affect the way we coach. Yeah, it it, it is. I mean, the, the whole uh, the whole theme for this was revolutionary change. You know, dealing with revolutionary change. Is that something that in your business that you've 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 been hit with that you know you have to change the way you coach? Again, that came out today that we have to change the way we coach. It's a much more complex business than we're used to. And especially since the, the, the economic crash in Ireland so many years ago, and we have full employment, I think it's 5% unemployment, which is right, really yeah. full employment. And also we have a, a three, four generations of people in the workforce. So as coaches, we have to learn to adjust and reflect on how we coach. And as, as Frank Farley said this morning from Sigma Recruitment, about building your team within an organization. So the big thing in organizations at the moment is retention. And that's where coaching and mentoring comes into it. So the coaches and the mentors have to be up to speed with what's happening with the different generations in the workforce and also with the change in the expectations of employers. Yeah, it might be something that employers or, or businesses haven't thought of yet is that a, you know, a, a coach is there to support 
you know, things like retention, uh, things, you know, it's not just about getting to the next level or career coaching. It's, it's actually about getting the most out of your people when they're in your, in your company as well. We also spoke today a lot about the complexity in organizations and the challenges for people who have been managing quite a long time. So younger people coming into the workforce have different challenges, and that's where coaching comes in, where it gives people a voice, something to speak to, to bounce things off, to get feedback from, and this can happen for internal coaches and external coaches. So I think in the revolution is, yes, is finding new ways to build your team, to hold on to your staff, to recruit better staff. Yeah, brilliant. And you're the new president of EMCC Ireland, uh, which is growing and growing. I think somebody mentioned earlier on that there was 500 new... Uh, they're, ch- they're, ch- they're training six, over 600 coaches per year in Ireland. 600? 600, yeah. Per year? Per year. Yeah. So it's a, it's a booming business from the point of view. There's plenty of coaches out there, but not all are active. In the, and this is, the, this is the thing. The EMCC helps coaches get active as well. A lot of people who do coaching courses or coaching qualifications, they do it for themselves. So it's a journey they go on. Some people go on to be internal coaches and some people go on to what we call commercial coaches, which are external coaches employed by individuals and organizations. The, the brief of the EMCC is to make sure that people are professional coaches, that they're accredited by an accreditation body and they're a member of a professional organization, which has a code of ethics, which helps people be better coaches. But it just, it's a value system that we want to see in coaches. And I think over the last 10 years, coaching has changed completely in Ireland. And as you say, there's five, six hundred being trained every year. So there's a big cohort coming through. But not all of them join the coaching body. Not all of them become accredited. Because once you do your diploma or your certificate in coaching, it, it does not mean you're an accredited coach. It's, that's the next step on the journey. So that's part of EMCC's policy is to make sure that people go to their accreditation with EMCC or some other coaching body. Yeah, and as, as the new president, what are your hopes and, and, and dreams for driving the organization forward? My hopes are that people would engage with a professional body like EMCC, which has now become a global organization. EMCC has pr- traditionally been just European-based, and now it's in Australia, it's going into the United States. So we're looking at a bigger picture for coaches globally. Excellent, so we'll have to change it from EMCC. <laughs> it's, it's not going to be European anymore. No, there is, there is, and that is a foot at the moment. We're looking <laughs> at a new branding for EMCC, which will change to, to incorporate the global aspect of it, yes. Brilliant, it's worldwide, WMCC. World domination, <laughs> yes. That's it. it sounds like a wrestling organization. <laughs> we could do a bit of that as well. Of course. Patrick, it's been an absolutely wonderful day, and thanks very much for hosting all, all of this, uh, these brilliant minds uh, in coaching, uh, who I think took uh, amazing, amazing things away from today uh, and really are invigorated from what they heard today. Um, thanks very much. Thank you. So that was episode nine. I really do appreciate that there are a multitude of podcasts out there. And when you listen to us, you're giving us a gift. Please keep sharing this content with your friends and colleagues. As usual, if you have a guest you'd like to hear from or you have some comment on the show, please drop me a mail at stephen at stephennorton.com and you can find more from me at www.stephennorton.com. I'll be back next month with another good boss, bad boss guest. Until then, goodbye.